We're okay. Right, let's listen to God's word together. I'm going to be reading from the book of Ezekiel, prophecy of Ezekiel, chapter 37, uh, and reading the first 14 verses of the book of Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. And it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. And he asked me. Son of man. Can these bones live? I said. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to the bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know, I am the Lord. So I prophesied, as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we hear your word now, that we wouldn't only hear words, Lord, spoken, prophetic words spoken, but we would be filled again with your spirit that we might live. Amen. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 14. Always have that song in my ears, don't they? Dem bones. Them bones, them dry bones, the ankle bone connected to them, you, you know the song, don't you? 
The problem with the song is that actually I'm told it's anatomically questionable whether they've got the bones in the right order, but there's a bigger problem with it. And I hope as we read the passage, you maybe caught a bit of it. That song is so lighthearted, isn't it? It's a bit of pantomime fun. And yet this passage is anything but that. It begins, as it were, with a horror movie. Ezekiel is given a vision of a valley of bones. And the obvious place that a valley of bones comes is is a battlefield. He's been shown a vision of a battle that has happened where many have died. And around him he can see nothing but the signs of carnage, nothing but the signs of death, nothing but the signs of defeat. For no one was left to bury the bones. And there's a lot of them. We're told that the Spirit of the Lord moved him and he moved to and fro in the valley. More and more and more of these bones. Now the context of this is that Ezekiel is actually in Babylon and he has just received news of the disaster that has happened back in Jerusalem. The army was defeated. The city was destroyed. The temple was torn down. Everything was gone. Only corpses were left. And Ezekiel is given this vision of that valley of dry bones, which obviously relates to everything that has happened back there. And the worst thing, the insult that's added to the injury, is that the bones are left unburied. To us, that maybe doesn't seem the big deal it would to most cultures, but most cultures have built monuments, burial mounds, and all the rest of it to make sure that the dead are honored But here there is nothing left but curse and insult, the ultimate sign of hopelessness. In fact, we see it in verse 11, where he's told that the people of Israel say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. It's a sign that everything has gone. And it's not wrong. Remember that it is the Holy Spirit that has taken Ezekiel into this vision. The Holy Spirit that is showing Ezekiel something. And he is actually showing Ezekiel how hopeless everything is. It's not that these people are shouting that we are hopeless and we are destroyed. It's actually that that's the case. The valley is full of bones. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. Not the Spirit that comes along and (laughs) and tells you something to make you feel good. But the Spirit of truth. The Spirit that points out to God's people the raw truth of the world. One of the differences in the Old Testament when things were going wrong for the people of Israel is there were prophets. And there were always two types of prophets. True prophets and false prophets. And the difference between them is the false prophets always made you feel better. Because the false prophets would come along and say, oh, you're God's special people. Nothing bad will happen to you. It'll all be fine. You're doing great, folks. Just carry on, you know. Be, be tough and be bold and everything will be okay. Just carry on the way you're doing with your temple and your religion. And, and God's just happy with that. That's great. Feel good. And the false prophets were always very popular. People paid them lots of money to say that. 
But the true prophets, led by God's Spirit, always came and said, that's not the case. Not at all. You must see yourselves as God sees you. You must see the brokenness of your country. You must see the injustice that the poor are crying out. You must see the fact that the, the leaders and the rulers are all after themselves. You must see that you're not keeping God's law that says you should love your neighbor. You must look and see that you're going through the motions of your religion, but you don't love me. You must see the consequences that I've promised I'll bless you if you, if you keep in my way and, and, and look after my world and, and care for the poor and the widow and the orphan. But if you don't do that, there'll be nothing but curse. And of course, they stoned those true prophets. John's gospel records Jesus saying of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Why is that? Because the world always says these things don't matter. Be fine, be fine, be okay. But the Holy Spirit comes and makes us aware of all that's wrong. It makes us aware in our own lives. When we start to get close to God and he fills us with the Spirit, suddenly we start to see the things that we, that we do that are wrong. We start to, to cry out to God to change us, to forgive us that we might grow. And the Holy Spirit makes us attuned because when we come to God's word, we start to see and look around in our society and see all that is broken and all that is hurtful and all that is sinful. We begin to see the truth. The General Assembly is meeting right now, this week. It started yesterday. And I'm a commissioner. It's a wee bit different this year because I'm a commissioner sitting at my desk on Zoom because that's the way we're doing it. General Assembly is always great because if nothing else, I get to meet lots of my friends normally, not on Zoom, but um, we get to meet up and we get to talk and share stories and be re-energized by it. I'm sure the assembly will be very encouraging this week, but the other thing that is there, the backdrop to that is the truth. And the stark truth that the church can no longer avoid is we cannot go on the way that we've been going on. The numbers are devastating. The General Assembly trustees um, and our own Linda Irvin is one of them have brought to the church the numbers and the numbers are that we currently are planning on our presbytery plans for just over a thousand ministries across Scotland and we can only afford 600. And so the plans in the next few years will need to readjust that. That will mean changes in every community in Scotland in terms of the shape of the church. Now, of course, those are ministry numbers, but we know in our own hearts, don't we, that that's just the tip of the iceberg. The reality is, as we look around the churches and we look at the numbers, and it's great to have all the children here, but we know that the bones are weak. And we can see the truth of the death and the destruction that's around us. And that was even before COVID. And so the challenge is there. There is no going back. There is no possibility of just saying, well, we'll carry on and we'll keep things going and it'll be all right. And that is, I believe, a work of the Spirit of God. The Spirit shows us the truth as it did with Ezekiel in that dreadful vision of the battlefield, of the carnage, of the of the dryness, of the spiritual barrenness of God's people. 
Because numbers and money are just numbers and money, but they reveal something deeper of the state of our nation, of the state of our church, of where we are. And a question is then asked. Can these dry bones live? Now, when Ezekiel's asked that question, in one sense, it's an absolutely absurd question. Can dry bones live? No. They're dead. That's the whole point. They're finished. There isn't an army here. There isn't even a people here. There is nothing left. There's no honor. There's no hope. Not a chance. But here's the thing. Humanly hopeless situations are not new in the life of the church. Think about it for a minute. On the day of Pentecost. Jesus had risen from the dead, but he then said to his 12 disciples, maybe a few more, and the women and the others that were there, he said to them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. He told them to go and build a church and change the world in his power. And against them was ranged the Roman Empire, the authorities that killed Jesus, paganism and all the shrines of Athens and Rome and everywhere else there was. The situation was utterly, utterly hopeless. And Jesus knew it because he said to them at that point, wait, don't bother getting up right now and starting that work. Why? Because it's impossible. I have just given you a totally impossible command. Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Wait in Jerusalem till my power comes upon you. You see, the story of the church isn't that 12 people changed the world. I've heard folks say that, you know. 12 people changed the world so we can do anything. No, you can't. Because they couldn't. It was only when the Holy Spirit came. Can these dry bones live? No. Can the Church of Scotland turn itself round and revive the nation and its own strength? Absolutely not. Can 12 men turn the world upside down? Not a hope. But then Ezekiel answers this question, doesn't he? And the answer is just brilliant. <laughs> Sovereign Lord, only you know. And at one level, I've said, God only knows. But God does. And that is the whole point of what is here. This is the God that gives life. This is the God that created life. This is the God that gave people breath in the first place. And that God can do this again. Prophesy to the bones, says, says the Lord. What he's really saying here, the word prophecy we sometimes think of is telling the future, but that's actually not what it's at its core. It can sometimes mean that. To prophesy is really just to speak God's word. It is to preach the word of God. And he's told to preach to the bones, which again seems crazy because the one thing that's true about bones is they don't have any ears. There are no bones in your ear. 
So he's to preach to the bones. How, what good will that do? But you see, what he's preaching is the word of God. Now, it's tempting sometimes to think if, if only we preach the word of God, that will do everything. If only the preacher hits the right notes, if only we get the doctrine correct, if only we get the teaching correct, if only we read the Bible enough, then, gosh, everything will happen. But that's not what happens here at all, is it? You see, that's to put too much on the preacher. Oh, the word is preached here and then bones come back together. There's even flesh on them. But there's no breath in them. You see, you can preach to dead things, but they'll still be dead. We can preach the word of God to a nation that needs revived, but it will still be a dead nation. You can preach the word of God to a church, but it will still be a dead church. So there's more. God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Now, this is important here because in, in, in Hebrew, the word breath and the word wind and the word spirit are all the same word, ruach. So you'll see in some of the translations, he's told prophesy to the wind and sometimes to the breath. And he's to prophesy until the breath is brought back into the dead bones. And this takes us right back, actually, to creation. In the creation account in Genesis, we're told that God spoke the word, let there be light, let there be, and the whole of the world was ordered and brought into being. And then we're told in Genesis 2, he took the dust from the ground, that which he had made, and he breathed his ruach into their nostrils, and he gave them life. You see, what Ezekiel is being told is this. I am the creator. I'm not just the guy who works miracles. I am the one who brought the whole of existence into being. I am the one who created men and women and breathed my spirit into them. I did all this through my word and my spirit at the beginning. And what I am promising you now is that I will do for my people again a creation-level event that will change everything by my word and by my spirit. Psalm 33, 6 says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth, the ruach. Now the Jewish people read this text and we're told this is what it meant for them. It meant that God would raise them up. It meant that God would bring life back into his people even when things looked so helpless. It didn't mean that God was going to take the folk that had died in the siege of Jerusalem in 587 and bring them back to life again. But it meant that God was promising to his people that he would revive them again. He would do something that was a creation level event that would change their fate forever. Of course, we know what that was. It had happened just before the day of Pentecost when the God that raises the dead brought his son back to life. That event that changed the creation forever, that event that brought in the new creation, that event that ushered in the resurrection of all that was to come, not just the dry bones, but all of God's people, the first fruits of all that will come alive in the great 
day at the end. The breaking of death, of brokenness itself, of all the things that we could not fix, of the creation itself that is broken by sin, God promising to do all that and change all that and starting it in the resurrection of Jesus. But for us now, this isn't just good news. It's not just that this is the word of God that tells us that he raised his son from the dead. As if that were not enough. But Jesus says, I am sending the Ruach. I am sending the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that would raise him from the dead would be poured out upon the church that it would live. That the impossible would become possible. That the scared would turn the world upside down. Oh, we think we've only got 600 ministers and a, a few thousand people. They only had 12. And the Holy Spirit. And that same Spirit is alive in the church today. And that is why the dead bones will live again. Our outgoing moderator who was here last week. Martin Fair spoke to the church yesterday at the General Assembly. His speech was amazing, and if you've got a chance to see it, it's online. I'll, I'll put the, the links up and let you have a look at it if you've got the internet. But let me, let me just attempt to, 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 to highlight one little bit of it. He said, look around in Scotland and you'll see the task. We have food banks and children going hungry. There's work to be done. We have the worst drugs deaths in Europe. There is work to be done. We have mental health problems and there is not always the care that there should be. There is work to be done. We have sectarian bigotry and bile on our streets. There is work to be done. There is racism. There are streets where women walk and do not feel safe. There is work to be done. There is homelessness. And that's before we go beyond our shores and we see that there is pain and death in the holy land of God. There are weapons of mass destruction and there are gross injustices in our world. There is kingdom work to do. And we need God's strength to do that. But here's the thing. If there are to be people to engage in that kingdom work, then we need the Lord to revive his church. We need to be a church where we see people coming to faith, where we see disciples being made, where we see people coming to live again, shaped by God's word. Pentecost is the day of fire. The day where it was so crazy and God's power came in such a disruptive way. We need to ask God to do that work in us, in this place, in Motherwell in this church, in this congregation. We need to be willing to stop taking out fire extinguishers. The work of God doesn't have a health and safety ethos. It doesn't do a risk assessment. It's bold. Lord, send your spirit upon us. Can these dry bones live? God alone knows. But he will send his word 
and we will pray that he will send his spirit until our lives are changed in him. That is Pentecost. Pentecost.